The sounds of success vary from person to person. Over to second in time on the first double play. Success sounds like this to a Credenz soybean grower. When you pick Credenz, you get a precise variety that fits your field. A variety built to work in your soil type and conditions with targeted traits for local pest and disease pressures. Earning the satisfaction of a successful soybean crop, that's smart. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for letting us be part of your day, and Merry Christmas to all of you. Busy, busy show today, some big issues. Uh, Yesterday, we talked with the American Farm Bureau Federation. We heard their concerns about the ag labor reform bill. Uh, They don't like the E-Verify part and some other things, Um, so they have some concerns. But... Some 300 ag groups are supporting this legislation, one of them being the National Milk Producers Federation. We will talk with their vice president of government relations today to find out why National Milk is supporting the legislation. Also, a lot of trade news, some good news uh, in Japan. We'll talk about that. Still questions about USMCA and China. We'll talk it over with Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation. And then here's a topic we haven't talked about in a while, but it's back, and that is country of origin labeling. Some real concerns about the use of the now used uh, product of the USA beef labels and some questions about whether this could mean we have uh, foreign-produced beef Uh, being processed in the U.S. and then getting the product of the USA label, therefore kind of misleading people. We're back to that country of origin labeling debate and all those things. We're going to talk with Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, a little bit later on in the program. So some big issues. Let's start it off, though, with Jerry Hackstrom with the Hackstrom Report. And, Jerry, this is going to be quite a three weeks uh, in Congress uh, leading up to their Christmas break. They've got some big, big issues to deal with. Well, Congress certainly does have big issues to deal with. The first one they've got to do is uh, figure out funding for the government after December 20th. I'd have to put that at the top of my list. Uh, and uh, we've been expecting that they would actually do the appropriations bills for the rest of the fiscal year, which ends on September 30th. Uh, but now there are, argument, there are people saying that uh, there's still disagreement over whether to fund the border wall through these bills. And so uh, we might get another continuing resolution. Uh, after that, of course, you have USMCA, and looming over the top of it all is impeachment, which doesn't have anything to do with agriculture, but, uh, of course, it's a, a huge national issue. Then you got other issues, very important, but you wonder, well, how much time will they get? And that's the uh, the ag labor reform bill that I talked about. You've also got tax extenders. I mean, there's a lot in here. Uh, I know when push comes to shove, Congress can get some things done in a hurry, but, wow, that's a lot to try to get done. Yes, it certainly is, uh, and it all depends on whether there's the, the uh, impetus to do it. Now, on the, on the um, uh, U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, uh, uh, yesterday the Mexican Business Council put out a statement that it does not like some of the changes that the United States has proposed to Mexican officials. And uh, one of the Mexican officials is supposed to be in Washington today. 
So that would slow it down even more. At this point, I really have a hard time seeing that USMCA would get uh, approved uh, in this calendar year. Yeah, I, I get that same feeling. The further this goes, the longer it plays out. It seems like it's taking on water, and it, it seems maybe they could come up with some kind of agreement, announce some kind of agreement before the end of the year, but have to do all the formal stuff after the first of the year. I don't know, but it, it seems like it's getting uh, more and more difficult to see uh, a good outcome on this if you're wanting it passed and certainly u.s agriculture is and uh, holding uh, all kinds of rallies and putting on all kinds of uh, a full court press to try to get it pushed across the finish line but it seems to be uh, they're pushing uphill i think at the moment well i agree they are pushing they are pushing uphill and uh let's remember that the north american free trade agreement is still in place so for most of agriculture it is fine the the issue is uncertainty the people, the big winners uh, in this would be the dairy industry, and they are the ones who have their executives in town today uh, to meet with a lot of people. Uh, 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 and of course, the farmers for free trade are also mounting a, a, a campaign. Uh, but right now, I I think it's it's not likely to succeed uh, this year. Of course, the other part of this, we know the president has made it very clear for a long time he doesn't like NAFTA. The other part of this is if this, if USMCA doesn't get approved, does he pull us out of NAFTA? Right. But he hasn't talked about that lately. Uh, and, of course, he would have a huge rebellion in rural America if he pulled us, if he pulled us out of NAFTA and then Mexico and Canada were to impose the kind of tariffs on U.S. agricultural products that were in existence before NAFTA. So I have a hard time imagining that happening, especially uh, as the election approaches. Yeah, so we'll see how that plays out. Meanwhile, let's add another one in here. Here's another one that's come back. This takes us back to the Farm Bill debate. Uh, USDA tightening uh, the SNAP work rules. And that uh, could potentially uh, uh, take thousands off those uh, off the rolls. There, that's controversial. Yes, uh, that w- Secretary Purdue just announced that final ro- rule a few minutes ago. I was on the on the phone call, and the expectation is that 688,000 people will lose their benefits by um, uh, by 2021. I think it is, uh, and uh, th- there is a probability that the agriculture department will be sued over this these are of course what they call able-bodied adults without dependents uh... but the problem with that definition of able-bodied adults is that nobody knows exactly who they uh, you know who they are uh, and, but we know that a lot of them have been have been war veterans over time a lot of the uh, for example, of the homeless men that you may see on the street uh, that have served in the military and have problems uh, that have not been diagnosed, but they're able to get these benefits. So uh, we'll, we'll have to see what kind of reaction there is to this. And again, we say they're running out of time, and I'm critical of Congress for uh, once again putting so much off to the last second. I mean, a lot of these things should have been dealt with before now, and they keep getting pushed off, and then they can't say, well, we don't have enough time to get them done. Exactly. Then the, you would say the same thing with the tax extenders on the biofuels. Um, uh, and, of course, 
Now, the administration is going to be slow about pulling, putting out the volumetric requirements under the renewable fuel standard uh, because of all the controversy uh, going on there. Uh, so now that's probably going to be released in the middle of the winter rather than on November 30th when it was supposed to have been done. Yeah, it's frustrating the way this. these are important issues, and uh, instead of dealing with them and addressing them, uh, they keep putting them off and putting them off. And there are a lot of reasons. Some are political. There are other issues as well, but uh, it's frustrating. All right, Jerry, always good to talk with you, and uh, we'll have plenty to talk about uh, here soon when we get together again. Thanks a lot. Uh, that's good, and I look forward to speaking to you and to your listeners. All right, take care, Jerry. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. All right, one of those issues, we talked about it yesterday, this uh, ag labor reform bill that many ag groups, hundreds, are in favor of. Farm bureaus, we heard yesterday, still having uh, reservations about it and concerns about it. One of the groups supporting it, though, is the National Milk Producers Federation. We will talk with them next, talk with their vice president of government relations, why the National Milk Producers Federation is supporting the legislation and what are its chances of passing. We'll talk about that next on AOA. Some measure success by Italian suits, corner offices, and luxury yachts. Farmers measure success differently. It's breathing fresh country air, taking care of the people you love, and knowing how to measure success in your soybean acres? That's smart. With Credenz Soybeans, you get a precise variety bred to fit your acres. And that Credenz variety comes with agronomic expertise and local insights from your BASF team. So plant your sign of success. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Yesterday, we discussed the Ag Labor Reform Bill with the American Farm Bureau Federation. We heard about their concerns uh, concerning the bill and why they have not joined with hundreds of other ag groups in support of it. They have uh, questions and concerns about the E-Verify process and, and some things like that. And we've heard other, even though the bill has bipartisan support, which usually is a, a signal that it's going to do well or have a chance to do well. We've now heard others uh, critical of it, saying that it's uh, it's amnesty, and that usually derails these types of uh, uh, efforts when it comes to anything immigration-related. And we've heard others critical of it as well. But as I said, there's like 300 ag groups supporting it, including the National Milk Producers Federation, and their vice president of government relations, Paul Blyberg, joins us now to talk about it. Paul, Thank you for being with us. Uh, this is obviously a critical issue for agriculture in general, the dairy industry in particular. Why are you supportive of this bill? Well, thanks for having me, as always, Mike. Uh, we are supportive in a nutshell because the bill includes provisions that aim to address our two primary goals in the ag labor space. One is obviously reforming the current H-2A program so that dairy can use it. Obviously, right now, we have no access to that program, and the provisions of this bill begin to get us into the program. Uh, obviously, the, the year-round component of that program under the bill is capped, but that cap is able to rise over time and eventually goes away, and that's a very important source of, uh, of labor for us. And secondly, the bill also has provisions to legalize our current workforce, and uh, that's also a critically important issue for us, given the, the reliance of the 
uh, you know, in the dairy industry on on existing workers. And I think we would say to the specifics, you know, is the bill absolutely perfect? No, it can be improved as it goes forward. But uh, you know, the issue is so vital for us that I think we feel it's a process and it's important to be at the table during that process and and working to get a bill going forward in the House. And I think it's important to note that the House has never passed an ag labor bill under Democratic or Republican control in the entire time that I've been working on this issue, and, and many others have been working on it. You know, the Senate moved a bipartisan ag labor, uh, broader immigration bill with an ag labor component back in 2013, but uh, we've not seen a bill move through the House and get passed off the House floor. So it's a very big deal, in our view, to have that step take place, which is why we're, we're so eager to be part of the process. Farm Bureau says the bill does not provide farms enough relief from H-2A wage rates. Also, uh, they don't like a provision that would allow workers to challenge employers in federal court. Uh, they don't like uh, the use of E-Verify necessarily as, as a way to go here. Uh, how do you, how do you uh, look at those concerns? Well, I guess I'd say, you know, the bill's a work in progress. You know, it's going to continue to evolve as it goes through over to the Senate and things like that. On the wage issue, I think it's important to note there are some positive provisions in the bill. On the wage front, wages are frozen at the, for 2020 if the bill were enacted in 2019, and then the increases are capped. And the increases, I think, 3.25% or 4.25% increase per year, depending on the circumstances. And that's a much lower possible increase than we've been seeing in many states. And so there, there are provisions to provide some wage certainty. I understand some folks feel that maybe it doesn't go far enough, but I think relative to what's there now, some of those provisions are, are in fact, very helpful and will provide certainty. So I think, again, our view is let's get the bill going, just like our view was in the last Congress with the Goodlatte legislation. It may not be a perfect starting point, but it's it's the vehicle, right? The Goodlatte bill was the vehicle in the last Congress, and with Goodlatte being the chairman at the time of the Judiciary Committee, and the Lofgren-Newhouse bill is the vehicle in this Congress. And given that it does, by and large, include provisions to address our two major priorities, we feel it's very important to get the bill moving and continue to improve it as we go. The House Judiciary Committee's top Republican is Doug Collins uh, from Georgia, who's very much involved in the impeachment proceedings right now as well. But he said this measure, he called it a massive amnesty bill. And usually when you use the word amnesty in anything uh, immigration-related, it kind of derails everything. Uh, That's what we've seen uh, in the last several attempts to get anything done. Uh, Do you see this bill in any way as an amnesty bill? No, I think it's important to note about the Title I provisions, and by Title I I'm referring to the legalization of current workers and the, giving them the ability to apply for legal permanent resident status, that the requirements under Title I are an earned requirement. You have to work in agriculture for a certain amount of time. You have to show that you've worked in agriculture for a certain amount of time previously. So it's not an across-the-board blanket uh, you know, set up there. It does require a commitment to the ag sector for certain amounts of time. So we, we view it as an earned status, and we think that's an important distinction to make. We're talking with Paul Bleiberg, Vice President of Government Relations for the National Milk Producers Federation. Uh, Paul, when this was first introduced, I was very excited, one, that it had bipartisan support, and two, because I thought, here's finally an effort to, it, to say, if we can't solve the whole immigration issue, let's at least work on a specific area of need and try to, and try to get something done on that. And that's why I was so hopeful for this. Uh, what do you see now as uh, the chances is moving through? Not only because of the, uh, the criticism and the, the concerns we've just uh, heard, uh, I've talked about that have been raised by Farm Bureau and uh, some members of Congress, but also now just the crowded 
calendar for Congress and the other big, big issues they're trying to get done here before the end of the year. Uh, what do you see as the chances? What's the path forward for this? Well, I think our hope is that the bill comes to the floor yet this month. We don't know exactly when it's going to come to the floor. We've heard you know, positive signals that it could. And you know, if it doesn't, perhaps it comes up early in the new year, to your point. There's a number of things that have to get done at the end of the year here, as is always the case. So we, we don't know exactly on the calendar. But I think our hope is that sooner rather than later, the bill moves through the House off the floor with a certain amount of bipartisan support. And then that may kickstart a process in the, uh, in the Senate. Not that the Senate necessarily would take the exact bill from the House. I don't think we expect one chamber to just grab the other's bill, but that the Senate might begin a similar kind of bipartisan discussion process around around this issue. And I think that only really happens if the House gets their bill through. So even best case scenario, this has a ways to go. Yeah, I mean, this this issue isn't getting resolved for good this month. You know, the House might pass the bill this month, but it, that's not it's not becoming law yet. There's still a lot of work to be done in the Senate, which goes back to my earlier comments about this being a process. You know, and nobody should be treating this bill like a final bill that's about to become law. It's a step in a longer process, which is how we tend to look at, at all bills that are moving through. And so I think it's important just to make that note that, you know, we're hopeful for House action as soon as possible. The reason we want that is to give as much time for the Senate to act as, as they can have. The dairy industry is certainly not the only uh, segment of agriculture that's impacted by this, but it's it's one of the main ones. Uh, describe for our listeners why this is such a critical issue and why what we have now, the system in place right now, is not working. Sure. Well, uh, you know, we we did a, a survey several years ago where we determined that probably roughly half of all dairy farm labor in the country is, is immigrant workforce, and so I think that just underscores the significance of, of this issue for us. And again, as I noted earlier, the H-2A guest worker program that exists today does not allow year-round workers to, to come into the program and receive uh, visas under that program. It's a seasonal program only, and in the dairy industry, as everybody knows, cows are milked every day of the year. We don't have seasonal workers, and so not being being able to use the current program as well as having a large, you know, existing workforce, those two problems together make resolving this issue, you know, uniquely important for us. I think there there are a lot of segments of agriculture, as you said, that care about getting a solution to this in one manner or another, but given that we can't use the current program at all, I think the problem is is even more significant for us. And unlike, say, maybe fruits, vegetables, where it's a seasonal type of job, you're, you're looking not only at attracting workers, but retaining workers. Once you get workers and train them, and you, you want to be able to keep them, right? Correct. And that's one of, one of the things that's in this bill that's helpful is that the, the year-round visas that dairy farmers will be able to use to hire workers are going to be three-year visas. And that's something that we've pushed for in the past in, in, in a variety of different negotiations to have some certainty around the amount of time the workers can be here. So that goes to that point, actually. So we'll see what happens. Uh, again, as I said earlier, I thought when it, when I saw the bipartisan support for it, I thought, well, maybe finally, and hopefully this will be the case, that it can be worked through. Uh, but obviously things need to be addressed and tweaked along the way. Uh, do you think there's yep. a good a good framework, a good atmosphere of discussion that let's not scrap the whole thing, let's just make this thing work this time? I think that's right. I think you even heard comments from some of the Republicans on the Judiciary Committee that were very interested in getting this 
done and getting something done on this, even if they weren't voting for this bill. You know, Ranking Member Collins, as you mentioned earlier, is the lead Republican on the committee, and I think his phrasing was something to the effect of, you know, I'm a no on this, but I'm a soft no, you know, just given that they want to see some elements of the bill changed, I think there's an acknowledgement on all parts that something has to be done here, which is which is better than being in a situation where people don't even agree on the premise of we have a problem that we have to solve. Yep. All right, Paul, thanks for the update. No problem. Happy to do it. All right. Good to talk with you again. Thank you very much. Paul Bleiberg, he is Vice President, Government Relations for the National Milk Producers Federation. All right, up next, we're going to talk trade. Is the China deal pushed further back, or is there still a chance of getting done sometime soon? What is the latest with USMCA? And some good news on the U.S.-Japan deal. It's been approved in Japan. We'll talk about that and more with Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation next on AOA. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rall with the American Ag Network with a market check here at midweek. The U.S.-Japan trade deal has cleared Japan's parliament Wednesday morning, putting in motion the expectation that the deal will be implemented at the first of the year. This should help to support beef demand shipped to Japan on a short and long-term basis. Warmer weather through much of the Midwest and active cattle feeding areas is curbing buyer support as traders focus on improving feeding conditions. This may add to additional underlining softness in future prices and potential lackluster cash market support through the end of the week. Hog futures on the Board of Trade have extended their rally to a second day with the February lean hog contract trading 30 cents higher at 68.67. In cattle futures, March feeders are down 72 cents at 142.30. February live cattle trading a half a dollar lower at 125.17. Grain traders are anxiously awaiting Thursday's export sales figures from the USDA, needing them to be high enough to support USDA's demand figures or else already low prices could face another big downturn. Corn futures on the Board of Trade have been slowly falling since mid-October, with the March contract trading three-quarters of a cent lower at 3.80 and a half cent. March soybeans trading five and three-quarters of a cent higher at 8.91 and a half cent. Wheat futures on the Board of Trade traded higher overnight after falling 3% in the past two days. According to Agritel, this week's downward momentum has been propelled by traders positioning after selling off the higher wheat prices that materialized following a rally in November. March Minneapolis spring wheat trading three and a fraction higher at 5.16 and three quarters of a cent. March Kansas City wheat up five and a half cent at 4.42 and a quarter. March Chicago wheat up a penny at 5.26 and a quarter. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Kirsten Rall for the American Ag Network. The patented pod shatter reduction technology canola hybrids from Invegor are the perfect blend of strength and durability. Stronger pod seams and stems protect the canola seeds within while protecting you from potential yield loss. And that gives you added flexibility at harvest, even when dealing with adverse weather conditions. Shattering yield records, not pods. That's smart. Contact your local BASF seed advisor today. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, lots of trade news to talk about. We're going to 
talk about it with uh, Dave Salmonson, Senior Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dave, thank you for joining us. Let's start with the good news. The U.S.-Japan deal. Japan's approved it, the way I understand it, so it will go into effect uh, first of next year. Is that right? That's what we expect, and that is good news. Uh, a lot of work to get there, but uh, certainly pleased that this is going to get done, this phase one of this agreement. So our producers uh, should be seeing lower tariffs on uh, beef and pork as we go into the new year, and elimination of tariffs on a lot of other products. So, um, you know, Japan's already a terrific market for us, over $13 billion a year. Uh, our third or fourth largest market, depending on the year. So uh, this should just make it even better, and will certainly put us in a better uh, competitive position with a lot of uh, other countries that already have preferential trade agreements with Japan and have been uh, benefiting from lower tariffs. So good news all around for agriculture, but um, as always, there's more work to do. You know, this was phase one of these negotiations. There is uh, phase two which, uh, you know, a lot of stuff was done for ag, but some things were left undone at the time. We uh, really didn't get the modernized SPS rules that we want, some biotech rules. Um, Dairy products, for the most part, weren't included. Rice wasn't included. So, uh, and, of course, all the other industry-related issues that weren't included there. So, uh, good start, really good agreement. Um, Again, we'll uh, be uh, continue working at it uh, with Japan uh, later next year. Yeah, more to do. That's a good point. Uh, but as we've seen with other trade deals, <laughs> it's a big accomplishment to get the first step taken, get phase one done, something we've not yeah. been able to do with China. So that's a significant accomplishment with Japan. Yeah. Now let's go yeah. to China. The The president now has said, of course, uh, in some ways he likes the idea of waiting till after the election for the China deal. Now, he didn't say we're going to wait till after the election. He said, you know, he, he raised that possibility, and of course, there's been a, a huge reaction to that. Stock market was down in the last couple of days because of it, and 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 so this is where we are. Every every comment that's made about it, especially from the president on on China, uh, sends a reaction wildly one way or the other. Uh, when we step back from it, are we any closer or are we farther away? Do you think from getting this phase one of a China deal done? Yeah, well, we're coming up on a uh, decision point here on December 15th. So that is when another round of proposed tariffs by the U.S. on Chinese imports would go into effect. Uh, Tariffs on $160 billion worth, I think that would finally cover everything that China sends to us. And this would be mostly consumer products. If we remember back to late August, where we put tariffs on about $115 billion of Chinese imports. Um, this was delayed, make sure this was basically past the Christmas time. You know, most of the imports from China for Christmas are, are here by now. Um, but this could go into effect. So between now and the 15th, I think there'll be a lot more talking. Um, what the intent of the president was saying, I don't know, but it certainly adds to the pressure uh, on the Chinese. Uh, perhaps that was the intent all along. Um, to try to come to some kind of a deal. China certainly doesn't want these tariffs to happen, and I don't think uh, a lot of U.S. importers want them to happen either. So um, that will be the next point where we see whether something is going to happen of a deal. Uh, Will there be a delay? Or maybe the tariffs won't go into effect. Or maybe they will, and uh, this, uh, this gets kicked into next year. So 
a lot uh, on the line over the next uh, 10 days. It's hard to imagine. Anything could happen, but it's hard to imagine we're going to get resolution anytime soon. It, it sounds like the best-case scenario is we delay it from getting worse. Well, that could be. That could be. I mean, what's on the table here is, right now in front of them in the near term is this December 15th deadline, the obligate, not an obligation, but we hope it's an obligation by China or at least a uh, desire to purchase more ag products. That's right in there with the deal. And those really are the things that in what's being called a mini deal or a skinny deal or, of course, this phase one are the main components of this. Um, Can that be worked out? And, of course, China has added, you know, they're adding pressure on their side. They're saying now they want a rollback of some tariffs. They want to take those tariffs that were put on September 1st and have those taken away. So, um, yeah, each side is uh, adding to the pressure uh, right now. The president, he, he, he always makes some interesting comments, but he said the China, the China deal is dependent on one thing, do I want to make it? Because we're doing very well with China now. I have no deadline, no. Uh, so there's a lot in that. I mean, uh, yeah. one thing that jumps out for a lot of people would say, we're doing very well with China now. I don't know too many in agriculture that feel we're doing very well yeah. with them right now. No, no, we've had, uh, you know, they have uh, fulfilled some more orders. But uh, from what I understand, I think everything that they've ordered has pretty much been done. Um, not a lot of new orders there. We may see a small uptick. Uh, from what we had last year, this year, they did some more ordering this fall. We're selling them some more pork than we were, I think, some more soybeans, not what we had been in the past, but a little uptick. So, um, but again, we're all looking forward to getting this deal uh, to get the trade back to what it was and improve it. You know, we always remember that despite all that we had been selling China upwards in the mid and or upper 20s of billions of dollars a year, um, China imports almost $130 billion a year of agriculture and food products. So the growth potential is always there. We just want to get uh, get back into the action on this. We're talking with Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation. All right, let's switch to USMCA. Depending on who you listen to, we're either close to getting something done or it just we're running out of time. It's not going to get done yeah. at least this year. How do you look at it? Well, just uh, yesterday, or day before, the Congress, uh, they added another week. They'll be staying here to December 20th, uh, 19th or 20th. They were scheduled to go out the week before, so they've given themselves some more time. Of course, the overall reason for that was that the budget agreement, the continuing resolution, runs out on December 20th, so they need to stay and make sure they get the, that taken care of. They've got some other is- obvious issues that they're working on, but there is still time. It is, it is getting close to the last minute, but uh, there's still process. But if they could get an implementing bill agreed to uh, between the House Democrats and the administration, send that up. There is time to go through the procedural motions and have a vote, uh, especially in the House. We hope they could both do the House and the Senate, but that could get done. Uh, it's not, it's, uh, they haven't run out of time yet, though they're, they're staring at it real hard. And now we're hearing some things from Mexico that uh, sounds like they have some concerns now with possible changes. 
Well, there is some reaction from uh, from some in the Mexican business community. There's been ideas about having U.S. inspectors go down into Mexico to do things. There, you know, that wasn't part of the original agreement. Uh, more on the uh, on the labor side, and there's reaction against that from them. I have no way of judging how much that is going to actually stop this from moving forward here in the U.S. Um, I think if there can be agreement on the issues which have been enforcement, some of which have been on the labor issues, if that can be uh, taken care of, I think they can move this. You know, when Congress wants to, they can act very quickly, even though there are necessary procedures that have to be done uh, to get USMCA through. Those could be done fairly quickly, again, if the, if the will is there. And uh, there's still time. So, you know, as I tell our, uh, tell our folks, um, you always play till the whistle blows. You run the race until you cross the finish line. So we'll keep pushing and, uh, until this session is finally done. Yeah, I think you have to look at, at, at some in Congress. Are they looking for reasons to oppose it or are they looking for reasons to support it? And uh, we'll see how this plays out. Before I let you go, um, steel and aluminum tariffs on Brazil and Argentina. Some have, have raised concerns. This is a new front opening another trade war. Do you see it that way? Well, I certainly hope not. I mean, I'm not really sure the intent of those. It was talked about something to do with currency, but uh, it's hard to see they're doing a lot with their currency issues, um, putting some pressure on those countries perhaps to increase imports from the U.S. I'm not really sure. Um, hopefully that's, uh, that's another one of these issues that uh, can get resolved through some negotiation um, fairly quickly, as is the issue that uh, was brought up this week also with France on their digital tax and a proposal for tariffs on uh, more of imports from France. So uh, another issue we may have with them and the European Union that hopefully uh, um, talking it out will get it resolved. It seems like so many of these trade issues, it's one step forward and it one or maybe two steps back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well... Um, trying to work out issues, some of which are some of which are new, like the digital tax. But some of these things, you know, as we deal with uh, Europe and other countries, the whole world of steel, these are long-standing issues. Uh, countries have their economic interests, their political interests behind them, and it takes a lot of effort to move them. So that's uh, a lot, that's what a lot of this is about. But you just have to keep at it, and um, we'll uh, we'll all keep working on it. All right, Dave. Well, it gives us uh, plenty more to talk about, so I'll stay in touch with you, okay? Okay. You bet. See you uh, right. you again. All right. Thanks, Dave. Dave Salmonson, Senior Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. All right. Here's another hot topic for us, and this is not a new one. Country of origin labeling. Concerns about the current use of the product of the USA beef labels. And then we get into the issue of... Uh, mandatory country of origin labeling versus voluntary country of origin labeling. Uh, are we being misled by these current product of the USA beef labels? Lots of questions. This issue uh, is controversial and it has not gone away. We're going to talk about it with Ethan Lane with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. That's next on AOA. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Success sounds like this to a Credence soybean grower. Along with 43 new varieties this year, Credence soybeans come with agronomic expertise from BASF. 
That means expert advisors who bring local insights on seed selection, management decisions, and crop protection options. Knowing the kind of success you're shooting for? That's smart. Talk to your authorized Credence retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. The country of origin labeling issue is uh, a controversial one. Strong views and emotional opinions on both sides of this. Um, We know the National Cattlemen's Beef Association is a supporter of voluntary country of origin labeling, not mandatory. But there are concerns about the current use of the product of the USA beef labels. Are they in any way misleading or uh, confusing consumers? Uh, Issues like if if an animal is... uh, raised outside of the U.S. but processed in the U.S. and then gets the product of the USA beef label. Is that the misleading consumer? So there's a lot here to uh, sort through, and we're going to do that now with Ethan Lane, who is Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Ethan, thank you for joining us. Uh, This is an issue again as USDA looks at the product of the USA uh, labels. Uh, What is the NCBA's position on this? Well, Mike, you said a mouthful in, in your opening. I mean, it really is an emotional issue. It's it's one that uh, we hear a lot about from producers, uh, both inside NCBA's membership from from coast to coast, and then obviously, uh, you know, producers that that are not NCBA members that that are 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 and have been uh, supporters of of different methods, like uh, like a return to M Cool that we've been long opposed to. Um, you know, what we've done over the last six to eight months is is sort of engage in some of this conversation about this emerging discussion about that specific product of the United States label usage. And we had the Oregon Cattlemen's Association bring this issue formally to our summer business meeting. Um, that spurred a lot of conversation about the use of these labels, and, and we created a working group uh, made up of producers from, from coast to coast to really kind of dig into this and, and try to determine what the scope of use is, how FSIS is, is approving and, and, and allowing these labels to be applied, and, and whether or not there are actions that we need to take as an association to protect our members and ensure that uh, we're, we're providing a product that meets consumer expectations. Uh, you know, we, we are doing that and need to continue doing that in a way that, that is mindful of the fact that MCOOL didn't work, that those retaliatory tariffs from the, from the World Trade Organization uh, on behalf of Mexico and Canada are, are still out there hanging like a sort of sort of Damocles over the industry's head were we to uh, find ourselves back in that situation. And yet we, we do have this issue that we need to confront. So uh, that's kind of resulted in our executive committee issuing policy the directive to the staff here in, D- in the D.C. office to, to start pursuing that conversation, start talking to the rest of the value chain, start talking to USDA, uh, and see if we can explore some ways to inject some more clarity into the process. All right, so basically you're acknowledging that there are issues with the current product of the USA label, but your concern, uh, if, if we went full M-Cool uh, or those types of measures, that leads to retaliation from our trading partners. Is that right? Immediately, day one. And, and you know, our concern, as we've watched other associations, other groups, and even the Hill sort of start to address some of these concerns in the last few months. We saw a, a bill out of the U.S. Senate 
um, from Mike Rounds and, and John Thune in South Dakota that essentially would, would just make that product of the U.S. label uh, a born-raised-and-harvested label, which is, which is essentially what MCOOL was. Um, uh, even though it's still a voluntary label, that path, we, we think, would lead back to to retaliations. It would, it would cause that segregation that, that's sort of the underpinning of that WTO order. Uh, what we're starting to look at and zero in on is, is you know, whether or not that, that broad description product of the USA is, is really too ambiguous to be used. I mean, it's important to, to make clear here, we don't think anybody uh, is doing anything wrong. We, we don't think that, that anyone's outside of, of, of the boundaries of, of what's, what's compliant right now with FSIS's guidelines. What we're talking about and, and working through with, with everyone in this, in this value chain is whether or not we're just at a point where we need to, we need to kind of get uh, out of the, uh, uh, the business of, of putting a broad label like that that's fairly ambiguous in place in favor of either you know, n- no origin marketing claim or a more specific origin marketing claim that that's, has some oversight and some auditability, uh, such as those that are issued through the Ag Marketing Services uh, Process Verified Programs. You know, there, there's, there, is, uh, there, there are programs in place right now uh, that, that can be used that provide that verification uh, that consumers want and that producers want in order to, in order to, to point back to how those products were raised. And, and quite frankly, in our, in our look at this, I think what we're finding is there's a lot more value to be derived, and, and producers and states are more interested in pursuing labels that are far more local than just product of the USA. They want to highlight beef from, from their backyard, from their region, from their state, um, from, from, you know, from their different perspectives around the country. We have people producing beef in a lot of different ways. Uh, we want to highlight that, and that's what consumers are looking for. So what we're exploring is how to make sure that we allow those options and have all of those value-added routes available to our producers without getting into a scenario where we're, where we're economically disenfranchising the industry or subjecting ourselves to tariffs. So you're trying to find a, a middle ground on this. I think that's a fair way to put it. I think what we're trying to find is the is the rational path forward. You know, I mean, like you said, it, it's an emotional issue, and people have really hitched their wagon to one side or the other. You know, NCBA is uniquely positioned uh, at, 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 because we have such a broad base of membership. You know, with 95% of our dues-paying members are those boots-on-the-ground producers. That's where our policy direction comes from. That's where this direction is coming from. Um, but we also engage the whole value chain, as, as you well know. And that, that makes us uniquely positioned to have this conversation and to do it in a way that, that ensures that that, that supply chain uh, to the consumer is uninterrupted and that we continue to, uh, to put that high-quality product on, on plates, not just around the country but around the world, um, that's a serious and sober conversation. You know, it's, 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 not, it's not just a press release. And, and uh, so, you know, we, we want to make it clear here that, that there are a lot of moving parts to this. I, I keep hearing it described as a lot of tentacles, and I think that's, I think that's true. You know, the, the, the more we get into it, um, you know, I think uh, uh, there's, there's room here for us to provide clarity and also lean on existing authority. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. Uh, we just maybe need to do a little bit of cleanup and consolidation and make sure that, that we're, we're not allowing a, you know, a, okay. a gate to be open here that doesn't need to be. All right, Ethan, uh, a lot to this. I look forward to talking with you more about this in the future, okay? Thanks, Mike. All right, Ethan Lane with NCBA. Thanks for joining us on AOA. 
Mr. Chairman, as a corn root, I speak for millions of my kind who can't be here to defend themselves. Pests are stalking our stocks and undermining our roots. But we can elect to protect with a legacy of strength. Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment system increases nearby microbial activity to help us grow stronger. That's smart. Ladies and gentlemen, please, this is a corn roots movement. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment. Always read and follow label directions.